Welcome to Victory GP. We're excited you've joined us, and we hope you're impacted and inspired by today's message. And so today we're picking up with the next uh, piece, one of the major core things. And if you've been in this church for any length of time, you know we are big on the Word of God. If it's not in the word, it's not worth talking about in a, in a church setting, really. And so we are talking about sacred scrolls today. And uh, my understanding, I love that we are, we are a church who gets the roar. We're a church who is like full of people who are passionate and like, we need to declare the goodness of God. We need to cheer about what is right, what is true, what is just. We need to get into that place where our voices are being heard. But if it's not founded on the roar of heaven, it's not worth anything. It's just rage or it's just, it's just passion. It's just loud. It's not serving any purpose. And the roar that we talk about coming out of God's people, it's, it's a release of what is it that God says. The word is full of places, not so much about people roaring, but about God roaring about a sound from heaven. It's what does God say? And we should be releasing what he is saying upon the earth. And that changes things. So today we want to get into a bit of a study about the word. Um, and I'm going to do a bit of history lesson for you because you all love that. You all, I know, you know, you hit 25, 30, 35, 40, and you're like, you know what I miss? History class. What I wouldn't give to go back to history class. What you're really thinking is your pre-wrinkled, pre-blubber, you know, whatever phase. But um, history class is what you're thinking. I know. So we're going to go back to this uh, concept of the roar itself and what we are releasing into the world around us. What's the sound that's coming out of us? And does it line up with something that is absolute truth? There have been moments all across history where people have passionately, aggressively, loudly pursued something that is right, only to find out it's not, which sucks, right? To find out you've, you've gone all the way down the road that you're not supposed to be on. And so we want to make sure that what we're standing on is the actual truth, not my truth, It's not about my truth. It's about the truth. And there is one absolute that we have to stand on. As people of faith, we make that choice. When we come to God, when we come to Jesus, we decide that the word of God is true. The word of God, and we've got Bibles, and we know that there's different translations and different pieces and, and um, different ways that people have broken down different parts of the Bible. But ultimately, the Bible is the word of God, and the word is God. So the word was with God. The word was God. The word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. When Jesus came to earth, he was the embodiment of the word. He is the word. And so when we want to get to know God a little bit better, and we want to know how God thinks about things, and what would God do in this situation, what does God want to empower right now? We have this lifeline. And it's something that I'm praying this morning, the Holy Spirit ignites within our heart a passion for his word, a hunger for his word, a desire to get in and to study and to learn. And we need to understand that when we don't, society pays for it. Truly. We love uh, feeling the presence of God. It is so important to have those kind of encounters where we engage emotionally and where our spirits are ignited by the presence of God, where we feel things, where there's, there's a moment that, that, that carries us um, you know, into a new place when we engage him face to face. And there are also times when we need the stability of the word of God to sustain us. And so if we, if we um, veer onto the side of I'm in it for a feeling and we miss the foundation pieces of the word of God, the sacred scrolls that are meant to be part of our lives, we have nothing to actually stand on down the road. We have nothing to really pass on to our children or our children's children. We can't, they, they can't live off of I felt God. I experienced God. I had a taste of God. I felt I, I, the presence of God came into the room and I just started crying or I fell on the floor or something moved me. Great. But 
So the word of God is this constant that runs through all of history that we hang on to, and the experiences are meant to come out of it. The people who were in Azusa Street when the Holy Spirit came, and when there was that move of, of uh, Pentecost again upon the earth, they were not gathered together to have a feeling. They were gathered together to seek God. They were in the word. They were in prayer. They were in the solid things, and the Spirit came and ignited it all. And so we want to make sure that the the stones are in place. Um, Matthew 24, 35, Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away. In other words, it's all falling apart. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty much um, a, a a game plan for that right in the word. You can read Matthew 24 and find some of the way that sort of breaks out. But Jesus says, but my word will never pass away. You want something to hang on to right now when everything else is wiggly? The word of God is stable and it's sure and it's the truth. Is it popular? No. Not even culturally, you know, acceptable right now. Some people would say not even culturally relevant. It is the truth, though, and it is the backbone of life as we know it, because it is God. And so Proverbs 29, 18, a lot of us are familiar with this verse. In the New King James Version, it says, where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint, but happy is he who keeps the law. And the Amplified says, where there is no vision, no revelation of God and his word, the people are unrestrained. But happy and blessed is he who keeps the law of God. And a lot of us right now, we feel the roar on the inside of us because we're looking around and we're like, the world is crazy. Nothing's going right. People aren't doing the right things. There's nothing normal happening. Why? Why would people? I mean, did you guys see the thing about the, the firefighters? Um, uh, things being stolen in Edmonton, the memorial things, they were they're like copper pieces, anybody? Yeah, so people are vandalizing memorials. Who does that? People who cast off restraint. People who live carelessly. And so we are living in this kind of a, a world right now. It literally says, where there is no revelation of God and his word, the people live carelessly. The people cast off all restraint. The people do whatever comes to them to do. And a lot of people say right now, so you think that if we're not Christians, if we don't believe the Bible, that we're going to just, we're going to live like, you know, like nothing matters. We're just going to be jerks. We're going to, eventually, yes, society does fall in, maybe not you personally, but society will decline with an absence of God. That's an absolute truth. The absence of God, the absence of a revelation of God and his word and his way of thinking and his way of doing and his way of being will absolutely lead to a decline in society. It will absolutely lead to a loss of restraint. And when people are unrestrained, it's scary. I want to just go a little bit history-wise uh, into the story of what happened in our, you know, humanity's history. We're all familiar probably, with the story of the, the Dark Ages, uh, Middle Ages, early Middle Ages, basically a period of about 900 to 1,000 years. Uh, people disagree on the, the actual end point. But a period of time where really society and humanity just fell into this place of despair and darkness, a place where they call it the Dark Ages because nothing new came out. There was no creativity, there was no new art, there was no new literature, there was no new technology, there wasn't an advancement in anything, but instead people turned on each other. And instead there became a society breakdown that actually led into all kinds of manner of, of abuses within society, and it was just everywhere. It was global. When we trace it back, we know that the timeline on it essentially starts right in around the 5th century to the 14th century. The key marker for it was when the uh, Roman Empire collapsed. And so what we knew as structure upon the earth, what we knew as, you know, man dominating or whatever, fell apart. And one of the things that happened right in that same time period that was very interesting 
was that religious leaders and governmental leaders at the time essentially took the word of God, the sacred scrolls, and hid them away. And there became a separation between God and his people. There became a separation. The word was taken away and there was a mediator placed in between, a man-made uh, a system for connecting with the word of God, connecting with who God is. It's an interesting timeline because we could just say, well, it's just coincidence, but is it really? You take the Bible away from the people and you take away the ability to learn and understand and, and see for yourself who God is. And suddenly you're taking it through somebody else's filter and it doesn't take very long before it's not a personal conviction anymore. And this is why we're talking about this as, a, as an issue within our families and our family altar. If our children are meeting God simply through us, it's going to break down things a little bit. Our job as parents is to lead them to him and they connect with him. And so we look at this period, the, the, this period of 900 years. Um, history just records it as this time of brutalization, uh, depravity, um, domination, corruption, a time when there was no direct access to God. There was the breakdown and it kind of ended in around the period where the Black Plague happened, which is very interesting. And so at the end of people like, I don't actually have an understanding of God. I don't really know him. I may come into a church and I might hear a priest read something, but it's going to be in a language that I don't understand. And I'm going to try and connect with God, but I can't really meet with him. Suddenly people started dying by the tens of millions. Europe alone in a, a four-year period lost over 20 million people. Over the course of history, it was multiplied far bigger than that. But people started to freak out because what happens when I die? I don't know what happens when I die. I don't know God. And so there started to be this craving and there started to be a hunger. But what's really interesting about it is this absence of God, this absence of the word, this absence to access to what, what God actually has to say about things created this space. I believe it created this space. There's all, all kind of other reasons, but the timeline matches exactly created this space where people turned on each other, people did what was right in their own eyes, and the world went into this place of just destruction. At the end of this time period, we start to hear about certain people. One of them was Dr. John Wycliffe. Some of you, if you got your Bible, you might see some of you have a Wycliffe Bible. Um, but he lived in the time of the 1300s, he was an Oxford professor who had an understanding of scripture. He had an understanding of God because he could read Latin, because he could read, you know, multiple um, uh, languages. But he had this understanding that the people need to encounter God for themselves. The people need to have access to the word. So he actually decided people would benefit, not just, not just Christians, but society as a whole would benefit from the understanding of the scripture in our own language, in our own, in our own realm of understanding, right? So he translated the Bible from Latin to English from 1382 to 1395, right in around the same period as the Dark Ages started to shift. Interestingly, one of his phrases, he said, this Bible is for the government of people, by the people, and for the people. Now y'all thought somebody else said that, didn't you? Because Abraham Lincoln actually said it in his Gettysburg Address. But it was said first by somebody who read the Bible in Latin and went, wait a minute, this is God's blueprint for how society is supposed to operate. This is how the earth works. This is how mankind works. This is how people interact with each other. This is, this is the answer for how people govern life on this earth. This is the answer. So he put it out there. And yes, it was the foundation for some of the key documents in the U.S. and in the freedom and the, in the founding of what is the freedom state there but here it was said by this guy now what's interesting about this is the church was so upset about it. he actually had to he was in hiding while he was doing this he ended up dying before they could kill him but the archbishop of canterbury was so offended at what he'd done and they condemned what he'd done to the degree that they exhumed his body so that they could burn his bones and dump the ashes in the river 
There is a principality in this realm that knows the power of a people who understand the word of God, who have access to God himself, who when they can apply it themselves will change every, they will, they will lay hold of the promises of heaven and release them upon the earth. There is a principality that desires you know, restitution and control to the degree that it would dig up a dead body to make him somehow pay the price. Interestingly enough, right in behind him, Johann uh, Gutenberg, a lot of you have heard about the Gutenberg Bible. What did he invent? Printing press. Yes, the first uh, mechanical printing press was, was um, designed and put together. There was some stuff in Asia that was manual before this, but Johann Gutenberg in 1436 um, developed the first mechanical printing press and the first thing that he printed was the Bible. The first thing. And his understanding was this has to get out in mass. There are so few versions of the Bible, copies of the Bible around, and those that are in public places are actually chained to altars so that people can't even grasp them. And so he had this desire to put it out there to see things, to see things read and absorbed by the people in a language that they can understand. See, it's interesting when Wycliffe actually translated the Bible, one in a thousand people could even read. One in 10,000 had even ever had access to a Bible to even read a page from it. And so this was, a, this was a shift in society. This was a shift after 900 years of darkness and death and destruction. Here come these men who go, wait a minute. The word of God is powerful. It's mighty. It's sharp. It's the thing that will actually change society. It's the word of God himself. So Johann Gutenberg actually produced... This Bible, it was in uh, German, um, I believe, and it could print 3,600 pages a day, which sounds like a lot, but 42 lines per page. So in his time of printing, he printed 180 copies. Not that many, but considering that prior to this, they were hand copied, it was a pretty big deal. There's still 42 copies in existence today. 21 are still fully intact, which is completely awesome. In along with him, Martin Luther. Martin Luther started translating the scripture from Greek, directly from Greek and Hebrew in 1517 and completed the text in 1534. By 1546, which is 12 years later, because of the printing press that had been developed a little bit before that, 500,000 copies were printed and distributed. It's pretty awesome. Wycliffe and Luther were followed by William Tyndale. Now, a lot more of you will have a Tyndale Bible if you've got a hard copy Bible. Tyndale Publishing still prints Christian literature and Bible to these days. But um, William Tyndale translated the Bible directly from Hebrew and Greek at threat to his life, they, he was told this is absolutely unacceptable. In fact, you could do the studies. There were, there were official uh, church decrees and governmental decrees that people should not have the Bible in their own language. They can't be trusted with it. There was an absolute shutdown, but he did it anyway. So instead of translating from the Latin, he went straight back to the Greek and the Hebrew. Why? Because the Renaissance period had started to happen, and he was sent as a scholar. He was a super educated man, spoke seven languages. He was sent as a scholar to read some of the documents that had been discovered. And so when he went in and he read in Hebrew and he read in Greek the word of God, he was so impassioned, he said, I will give my life to make sure people can read this in their own language. And so he came back and he began personally copying the, the, and translating directly from Hebrew and Greek into English. And he had to decide because English had a lot of dialects. So he chose the one that we use today, actually, which is so interesting. And so he began copying this. And, uh, and as he did, it was actually released um, July 1525 for master's distribution. He was arrested and burnt at the stake October 6, 1536 for doing just that. They arrested him. Again, they, uh, they tied him to a stake in the middle of the town square, not trying to gross anybody out. But they actually, in that last moment, they said to him, will you recant what you've done? 
Will you apologize for what you've done? And we'll show you leniency. And he said, I, I can't do it. Can I have a last word? And so his last word, they gave him one word, one sentence that he could say, one moment of time. And so in his final breath, he cried out to God and he said, Lord, open the King of England's eyes. And with that, they actually strangled him to death. They had gunpowder on the wood so that he would burn quickly and nothing would be left. And they lit him on fire in the town square. In his lifetime, there were 18,000 copies of his Bible distributed in English. Not that long after, 1604, King James of England authorized the English translation of the Bible for distribution to the masses. In 1611, it was completed and 83% of it is a direct copy of Tyndale's translation. See, we talk about the fire of God. We talk about that moment where we are, what are we willing to give our lives for? What are we willing to actually to, to lay down? What are we willing to sacrifice? I find it very interesting that fire just keeps being involved in all of this. We know Old Testament that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were called into the fire. And they were told, if you will just bow to the king, we'll let you live. And they said, we can't bow. We can't bow. We can't serve any other God than our God. And so our God is able to deliver us. But if he doesn't, if he doesn't, we still won't bow. Tyndale said, I won't bow. Right? We look back at the history. We know that Luther said, I will not bow. We know that Gutenberg said, I will not bow. We do know that Wycliffe said, I will not bow. And what did these guys have in common? The word of God was so precious to them that they would lay down everything for it. We actually have access now. Something has shifted over the course of years since King James. The Bible now has actually sold over five billion copies, according to Guinness, five billion copies. And the YouVersion app alone, which most of you have on your phones already, they just had their 500th millionth download of the YouVersion Bible app. And so that means that the word of God is everywhere. We have access. See, there were people who, it was a handful of people that ever actually had access to the word of God during this 900 year period. And something broke open and now everybody has access to it. So why is there darkness? Why is it still messed up? I want to walk through with you one period of time in my history that I, I've been meditating on a lot. Wayne and I say all the time, it's like, is it possible that the entire world is screwed up since we were teenagers? Is it? Because it, it totally feels like everything has changed. Well, interestingly, I could drop any 1985 rock beat in the house and half of you would know exactly what to do. <laughs> However, 1988, 1988 was the year with some of the best music in history. <laughs> However, it was also, <laughs> I know, I know. It was also the year that prayer was taken out of school in our nation. It was the year, you know, we were talking about this, Wayne and I, and we're just like, how did that even happen? And nobody cried out. It was one Jewish guy, one Muslim guy, and one atheist who got together and took the government of um, Ontario to court, and they said, we, we're offended that this is happening. We don't think our kids should have to be part of it. We don't think that they should have to be lined up with it in any kind of way. We don't think, because they were given the opportunity to be excused. Your kids can sit in the hallway while it's happening so they don't have to participate. Basically, the prayer in the school was, we used to pray the Lord's Prayer every single morning. We prayed the Lord's Prayer and we sang, God Save the Queen and O Canada, right? And it all just kind of disappeared somewhere in there. But in 1988, it was taken out so then across Canada, it was adopted, Okay, it's offensive to three people. We're going to remove prayer from school. Nobody really said anything else about it. Interestingly enough, there was a, uh, a uh, 
movement at the same time, 1988, where, um, what's his name, um, MP Sven Robinson, was the first public announced um, homosexual MP. And he just said, I, you know, this is what I am, whatever, which is, I'm not saying anything about that, but I am saying it began because it was a public movement. It began a movement towards redefining marriage, redefining family, redefining what was acceptable in our society, 1988. At the same time, there was a pushback against um, abortion laws, against what is a woman's right. It was deemed by our Canadian Supreme um, Government that uh, it, it's unfair to force a woman to carry a child to full term. And therefore, they were amending or removing the current abortion laws to be rewritten. They have never been rewritten. Therefore, we have zero abortion laws. 1988. A lot of injustice happened, a lot of move against the things of God, a lot of a shift away from the things of, of you know, what God calls right and wrong was shifted in that moment, 1988. You know what else happened in 1988? There was this release of a book called 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 1988. No joke, he wrote a follow-up uh, called On Borrowed Time. But, <laughs> but this was not written by some crazy guy. It was written by a guy who was a NASA engineer, who also was a Bible scholar, highly educated, highly skilled, highly intelligent. And those 88 reasons included the main foundation point was the 40 years since um, Israel had become a nation. And so it was tracking with different things and different reasons. And the idea was specifically that God said, uh, Jesus said that we don't know the, the exact day or the hour. But he's like, but we know the general marker. And so there was this, this understanding. So during 1988, the book was released on January 1st, I believe. And during that year, they gave out 300,000 free copies to pastors across North America. And they sold 4.5 million copies. This is pre, uh, you know, what, what, you know, electronic books or whatever. Pre, like people went into stores to buy four and a half million books. So let me just pose the question. My thoughts are, society started breaking down. We removed prayer out of the schools and the concept of that particular prayer, the Lord's Prayer, it is the word. We were praying the word of God into society every day prior to that. We took it out and there was no big public outcry. We started moving towards redefining the family. There was no big public outcry. We started shifting towards, um, well, women's rights are more important than that of the unborn. And there was no big public outcry. Could it be that the church had left what they should have been studying and spent the year with their faces in something that Jesus told us not to fuss about, but that we should occupy until he comes. And I am saying that right now, we are in a moment in history, and I've heard more people say, well, it's the end times, it's the end times, and so this is just a sign of the times. Get over it. People have clearly been saying that for decades. We cannot be so, well, it's just a sign of the times, so much that we let the dark ages squeeze in around us again. We are called to be the light. We are called to carry the light. We are called to be the change upon the earth. We are called to occupy until he comes. And Jesus said, yes, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. And we've got a bunch of anemic Christians that need to get their faces back in the right book and know who our God is. The roar has to be founded on the right stuff. And I am very, I'm getting very uh, limited in what I will allow into my own mind right now because if it's not the word, it has the potential to be filtered through somebody else's lens. And I'm telling you, this guy that sold 4.5 million books in one year obviously had people who trusted his lens. But the word of God is spirit and it is life and it divides and it points out truth. We cannot just keep talking about this 
this video and that video and this prophetic word and this. Did you get this podcast? Did you see this? If you are running it strictly through the mediums around you, you are missing truth. The word media, for, for example, we've, we've got social media. The word media itself is a word, comes from a Latin word from the 1500s. It literally means something in between. Now, Jesus said that I have come that you would have life and life abundantly. There, 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 there was a shift from us hearing about God to knowing God. But if we get all of our information about him directly from a media source, then there is something in the middle. And there has become a separation that there should not be. I'm not saying that we don't, we don't take in good Christian teaching, but it should be based on the word. I'm not saying we don't listen to prophetic words, but if it doesn't line up with the word, we're hooped. And if you don't know what's in the word, how do you know if it lines up? We have got to be a people who are meat eaters. We got to be people who know who God really is and what he really says. We have to learn to love this thing. It's like honey. It's what we taste. It's what we take in. There's this um, roar that is being released, but it's meant to be the roar of God's word. It's meant to be the roar of heaven. Isaiah 28, 16 to 17, I'm going to read it in the New Living Translation. It says, therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I'm placing a foundation stone in Jerusalem, a firm and tested stone. It's a precious cornerstone that is safe to build on. And that we've been talking about. That is Jesus himself. Our lives have to be built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. But then he goes on and he says, In verse 17, I will test you with the measuring line of justice and the plumb line of righteousness. Now, maybe everybody knows, but this is a plumb line. It's a really fancy one, actually. I told Wayne I was going to use a yo-yo, but he got me a real one here. (laughs) So this is a real plumb line. And the word tells us here specifically, he will lay down this cornerstone, it's the foundation, it's the horizontal thing that we build off of. And then he says, I will test you or I will direct you, I will filter things with the measuring line of justice and the plumb line of righteousness. Meaning this is the vertical thing. The connection between me and God, it's justice and it's righteousness and God hangs it out there. And it really doesn't matter if society says this is normal. This is normal. You're, you're, you're being cruel. You're bigoted. You're wrong. You're off. It doesn't matter. From heaven, God says, no, I'm laying the plumb line. Vertically, your concern should be what I think about things. What you should be reacting to, how you should be moving, the decisions that you make. Vertically, I am laying the plumb line and it doesn't move. It's a constant. It's telling you this is where I am. I'm constant. This is, this, is, this is how heaven stands on this thing. I drop this down here, and justice and righteousness are what I say they are. It's not what is popular. It's not what society says. It's not what's culturally applicable. It's what I say it is. And I am super aware that we are within probably years of dealing with hate speech laws in our nation that would put this book right in there. And I'm telling you what, this is something I would go to the fire for. I need a plumb line. I find myself reading articles right now and I I find out different news reports that this is going on, that's going on, this has been passed, this has been acceptable. And and you're like, what? How could that even happen? Why why would people even think like that? And you start to wonder in your own head, am I crazy? But we get the word out and he drops the plumb line and he says, no, this is righteousness and justice through my lens. And even though heaven and earth are going to pass away, my words will never pass away. Hebrews 4.12 in the Amplified says, For the word of God is living and active and full of power, making it operative, energizing, and effective. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating as far as the division of soul and spirit, the completeness of a person, and of both joints and marrow, the deepest parts of our nature, exposing and judging the very thoughts and intentions of the heart. As somebody who is on a permanent roar these days, I desperately need to know what I'm roaring about is the right thing. 
I desperately need what I, what I, to know what I'm lending my strength to, what I'm choosing to declare, what I'm choosing to stand. And I mean, whether it's governmental, it's social, it's health, it's finances, it's relationships, I can roar about it and have no effect whatsoever. Or I can stand there and go, nope, this is literally what God said. This is the actual plumb line. This is what is right and just in his eyes. And I will fight for it no matter what. From that place, God, God comes in and he, he allows us you know, we get in the word and he allows us to see, oh, maybe my motivation on this one is a little wrong. Maybe that's just soulish. Maybe I'm just selfish. Maybe I just, I have a, I'd like it to be that way, but it's not really supposed to be that way. Or maybe, you know, it, this is not that big of a deal. I'm making it a big deal. But God is really clear in his word what the big deals for him are. And you can read about it in things like when Jesus talks about the, the people who st- stand before him one day and he says, you know, I was in prison and you visited me. I was thirsty and you brought me something to drink. I was naked and you clothed. See, these are the things that God cares about, truly. He cares about the issues of justice. It's why he says to his priests, when he says, he says, uh, you know, I don't want to hear in Amos, I don't want to hear the noise of your feasts and your worship services. Let justice roll like a river. He, he, he cares about what he cares about and we should care about it too. There is no cost too high for that. Charles Spurgeon said, a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. Isn't that good? A Bible that is falling apart usually belongs to someone that isn't. We have to know what God says. He's the designer. He's the life giver. I find it fascinating that when the word of God got back into the hands of the people at the end of the dark ages, suddenly out of that place came creativity. Suddenly out of that place came, yes, revolts. People going, wait a minute. This is not right. How you're treating people is not right. This is not okay. How, how there was these, you know, new songs and new paintings and new literature and there was new inventions and new designs and advancement because we only use this teeny tiny part of our brains. You know, God activates stuff when we're in relationship with him and some of the best designs over history have come from Christian inventors. Why? Many of them have found the truth in God's word and went, wait a minute. That's how he says this works. It shifts us. And so we need to know that the word of God is actually the playbook that we do life by. Psalms 19, 7 to 8 is a passage that we use in our foundations class. And if you've got a Bible, and you do because you've at least got a phone, pull it up. And we're going to walk through this. I want to just give you an example of how we understand the word, how we lay hold of it. Psalm 19, verse 7 to 8, and it says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting, restoring, and refreshing the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, reliable, and trustworthy, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing, bringing joy to the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. So what we need to understand is about God's word. When we're reading it, we need to understand that there's two pieces, what God's word is and what it does. There's something that it's not just that, well, this is, this is helpful, but it's supposed to do something in me. So as we walk through verse 7 and 8, there's two things in each one of the verses that gives us an idea. This is something that God's word is, and this is something that God's word does. So the first one, let's just leave it. We'll let you answer first. God's word is perfect. God's word is perfect. And what does God's word do? Converts, refreshes, restores a soul. Exactly. So it actually, in, in uh, the New King James, I think, says converts the soul, the soul. It means calls it back to its right place. So the word of God is perfect and it draws your soul back to its right place. When we understand that that's what God's word does, it isn't like, well, I should probably do my devotions this morning. I mean, I need to give God at least one Psalm, one proverb and one new, okay. No, it's perfect and it's gonna bring my soul back from the brink. It's gonna do something in me. The next one then, God's word is? Sure, reliable, trustworthy, depending on your translation. God's word is sure, reliable, trustworthy, and God's word does? 
It makes you wise. Anybody need a little wisdom to like get out of your house in the morning right now? It's crazy out there. God's word is sure, reliable, trustworthy, and it makes us wise. I like, actually, I think it's the New King James again, and the King James says, makes wise the simple. I think that this is so cool when you look back to the men who actually took the effort of their lives to translate the Bible. They were dealing with uneducated people who knew nothing, and they were like, what you need is the word of God. You might need a lot of other stuff. You might need food. You might need a career. You might need a trade. You might need a, you know, but what you really need is the word and God will take care of the rest. And so verse eight, God's word is, it's right. Oh, it's right. God's word is right. What do you mean? You're an expert in the field. You can still be wrong. God's word is always right, even if the experts disagree with him. Don't you love that? At the end of the day, I am so tired right now of seeing videos and videos and videos and articles and articles and articles about what the experts are saying. Good heavens, is there anybody who I can count on that's just right? Yes! The word of God is right, and therefore it does what? It brings joy to the heart. Oh, yes, when I know that this is the right thing to do, I am good on the inside. I don't care if nobody agrees with me. I feel right on the inside, and joy is my strength. This is a gift from, of course the enemy doesn't want you to have your word. Man, that's a game changer. You get that stuff in you, and it changes everything. Finally, it says God's word is pure. What does it do? It helps us see correctly. It enlightens the eyes. God, I have no idea what to do. I am so confused. There's so many different opinions on so many different things. God's word is pure. He has no, you know, he's not in it to make money. He's not in it for political power. He's not in it for any kind of personal gain. He's, he's pure. He's in it for love. And it helps my eyes see properly when I see it through his. Do you see the gift that this is? This is the word of God. This is the thing that's transforming us. Psalm 1, 1 to 3 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season whose leaf does not wither and whatever he does shall prosper. God's saying, you know, you're going to have to decide. There's, there's this, um, this phrase that we see as kind of negative, you know, brainwashing. That's sort of what we want. <laughs> it's truth, isn't it? It's the truth. We want God to come in and change our thinking. We are surrounded by wrong thinking all the time. It's everywhere around. It permeates us. And so we want to come into that place where the washing of the water of the word changes us. And it begins. Yes. Amen. Amen. On his law, he meditates day and night. And then it says, verse 3, that he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season. In other words, good stuff comes out of you. You are guaranteed. What if I'm wrong? What if this is, what if this is crazy? What if this is off? The word of God tells you, if you decide, I'm going to meditate on what God says about it. Something is going to be produced out of your life that is going to bear fruit in its season. You will not wither. Whatever you do will prosper. Billy Graham said, if you are ignorant of God's word, you will always be ignorant of God's will. Seriously, if you are ignorant of God's word, you will always be ignorant of God's will. I've talked to so many believers in recent decades, and I think we got kind of tipped off base, you know, with some of this stuff, some of these, you know, prophetic tangents and focuses in here and there. And God's like, no, know me. 
Know me. Seek my face. Climb the mountain of the Lord. Come into my presence. Be with me. And then when there's a prophetic word, you will know that it lines up with, with this. And then you act accordingly. But don't just go off on these tangents. The, what's the last great book you've read? Should be like the book of John. You know, the book of Hebrews. Pick, pick one. But then also another book. You can read a novel. You can read a teaching book, whatever. But what was the last great book you've read? Because these ones are life-changing. This is foundational stuff that God's calling us into. Psalm 119 has a ton about the word in it. But verse 105 and 106 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn and confirmed that I will keep your righteous judgments goes down in verse 130, down to um, 130, 131, and 133. The entrance of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. I opened my mouth and I panted and I longed for your commandments. Direct my steps by your word and let no iniquity have dominion over me. His word is a lamp. His word is a light. His word brings light. Isn't it interesting that when the absence of it was there, the dark ages occurred. Isn't it possible that when the darkness is spreading like it's spreading right now, that there is a call upon God's people to speak forth the word, to live the word, to love the word, to know what the truth really is, and to begin to act out of that place. That relationship is, is fostered in knowing what he has to say about things. It's kind of like, you know, when the, when the rapture happens, when we're called home to be with Jesus, if we don't actually know what he thinks about anything, it's a little bit more like an arranged marriage. And people that don't really know him are a little bit scared of that happening. It's like, I don't know how I feel about the rapture. It's sort of scary. Not if you know him. Not if you know how he thinks. Not if you know his nature. Not if you know the intent of his heart. You can't wait to be with him. And that's the kind of wedding that people almost have to haul you away from the altar for because you are so excited to run up there and be with him. The more you know him, the more you love him, the more we experience him. There's a famous quote. Nobody knows who said it first, but don't say God is silent if your Bible is closed. <laughs> don't say God is silent if your Bible is closed. Finally, 2 Timothy 3, 15 to 17. We're all familiar with this. From childhood, you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And what that literally the translation is, it is God-breathed. It's the very breath of heaven. We've been saying, and we're, we're praying as part of our prayer targets during this fast, the Ezekiel 37 prayer, where God said, you know, well, tell me, son of man, can these bones live? And the prophet said, you tell me. And God breathed the breath of heaven. And the bones began to rattle. And they began to come together. And there began to be a sound of life in places that were dead and dark and dry. The breath of heaven changed everything. The breath of heaven brought about a great army from something that was dry bones. I believe that the breath of heaven in this moment in history, we'll do the same thing. And it's a combo. You know, we're going to need to talk a little bit more about a move of the Spirit in, in the weeks to come, but it's a two-part thing. There's Spirit, and then there's life. There's the coming together of the Word of God in a practical fashion like this that we apply, and then there's what the Holy Spirit breathes on just to ignite it, the coming together. But this, this coming of the breath of life that comes forth serves some purposes. Verse 16 all scripture is given by instruction uh, or the inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. God, I have no idea how I could do what it is you put on my heart. God, I have no idea. The dream that's on the, I have no idea how I could do that. I have no idea how to go forward from today. I have no idea how to deal with this relationship. I have no idea how to deal with this workplace. I have no idea how to deal with the fear that's on the inside. I have no idea. Well, the wisdom, the words, the breath of God that comes through his word to us, it actually makes sure that we are complete and thoroughly equipped. It's a big thing. So the last tool I want to give you 
is something that a lot of you have heard, but it's the concept of soap um, for studying. <laughs> Not just soap for life. Can you see that kind of? Maybe you may need to take a picture and zoom up on it or something. But the soap Bible study method, because a lot of people are like, yeah, I want to study the word, but I have no idea how to do it. And it actually is super boring for me. Um, I don't know how to engage the word. And therefore, I only do other people's devotionals. I'm just telling you that the idea, if, if, if God's word says something and does something, then we are meant to apply it ourselves and you can apply it. So the concept here is we follow the soap principle. S is scripture. We read the scripture. We actually dig into it. We find out what does the scripture actually have to say. Um, and the passage that you read, what scripture stuck out to you? Which one caught your attention? And, and if you're reading, you know, two, three, four, five, six chapters, it's easy to get to the end of it and you don't remember what you read at the beginning. But along the way, when something kind of jumps out at you, hang on to that scripture. And you might be in the, the early processes of reading your Bible and studying it. And you're like, well, that was verse three and I'm supposed to be reading chapters. It's okay to stop at verse three. Like, it's a lifetime plan that we're going into. Or you mark that one, finish reading, and then you come back to that. So you study the scripture, and you look for something that jumps out at you. O is observation. So looking at it, studying it, what do you think about it? What do you think God means by it? You look at it in different translations. You, you know, you, you meditate on, that jumped out at me. Why did that jump out at me? Um, you know, what's the overall intention? A lot of you have study Bibles. On the bottom, you can see that somebody will be a, do a commentary on it, or there's things where other people add in their viewpoints on it, give, give a little structure for it. So you do the reading, you observe what it's actually saying, the application is then how does this apply to my life? And a lot of people have read the word for years and have no idea that it's actually supposed to be relevant to you. But how does this apply to my life? What can I get out of this that's gonna change my life or how I do things, how I see things? What am I supposed to do? And you will find that it actually leads you towards an action in a lot of cases. It's like, wow, I really need to make that phone call or I need to adjust this in my life or, oh, Lord, I'm sorry, I need to repent of this. And then you will pray it. And so what we've been doing with our uh, fasting, we have prayer scriptures at the bottom of each target. And the reason that we have that is we pray the word back to God. According to the word, Lord, it says in your word, this, this, this. And so God, I'm asking you for it. I'm believing you for it. According to your word, do it in my life. And so you pray back to him that thing that you've, you've um, been ignited in on the inside. And then you begin to meditate on it. So that's soap. It's the washing of the water of the word. And it changes you from when you started. Does that make sense? So for some, that might be a tool that you need. I'm going to have the worship team come. But whatever the, the method is that you choose, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't watch preachers on TV. Thank you for those that are watching online or listening. But you can bet that what's being delivered to you from other people, they have gone through this process. So you also need to go through the process. I also need to go through the process. And there comes a time when I have to go, what is God saying to me about that? I, I've heard what he's saying to you about it, but what's he saying to me about it? And how does this change my life? And I'm telling you, there's a place on the inside that I believe that the fire of God is just perking around here right now. There is, there is more and more that's coming out. And I am asking you to use the weapon at your disposal. This word of God, this sword, it is powerful. It is mighty. It's the tool God placed in your hand. And history tells us, history tells us that when the word of God is deposited into the hearts and minds of a society, he changes everything. Why don't the governments do this? Why doesn't politics change like this? Why doesn't the economy move like that? Why can't these systems? Because the actual government of this realm is God. It's God. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The earth is the Lord's. And we as the ecclesia, we as the people of God, we are meant to live out what he says. We are meant to proclaim what he proclaims. We are meant to declare what he's declared. We are meant to know who our God is. And the people who know their God are strong and do great exploits. 
there's a change that is here. I'm not even saying it's coming, it is here. And it is a people of God who are called to action, who are awakened from their slumber. And we dare not live another 1988. I'm challenged by it's been 33 years since then. 33 years and our nation has lost its reverence for God. It's lost its respect for human dignity and life. It's forgotten to uphold justice and righteousness. And it's not on the government to change it, it's on the church. We get to, but we need to understand how the law of God works and we need to understand the plumb line. Now, before we finish today, I just want to give an opportunity and it might come out of nowhere for some of you, but I really believe that there are some in this room that you just don't know God yet. You have never given your life to him or you have and you've walked away and you know it. And you know that every scripture that we've even talked about today, you feel something burning on the inside of you and you're like, that's where I need to be. I need to know God. I need to not just know scripture. I need to know God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus himself came and lived on the earth and lived out the prophetic fulfillment of the entire Old Testament. Died on the cross, rose again, is seated in heavenly places and invites us to be part of it. And all we have to do is say yes. And we come to his way of being. But it's not just like a, a decision, like I'm joining a church. It's I'm moving from one kingdom to another. I'm coming from the life of man-driven stuff to a life that's God-led. A life that's alive in him. It's a place where I no longer make my own decisions. I ask God, what do you want to do in my life? What's your plan for me? And it's a place where like Jonathan opened the service this morning and said that we're forgiven in him, where we don't earn our way to him. We don't go, well, I'm hopefully good enough, so maybe God will accept me. Where we go, I, you know what? I can't be good enough. But Jesus says that he offers, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that simply whoever believes upon him shall not perish but have everlasting life that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive them. So there's a new beginning for some today. So I'm just gonna ask you across the room if you just close your eyes for a moment. And if you're one of those people that needs to make that decision this morning, would you just put your hand up for a moment? Yeah, I see that hand. I know there's more here today. You need to make that decision for Christ. I see that hand in the back. There's more today. You need to make that decision for Christ. You're saying yes to Jesus, or you're saying I'm coming back today. If that's you, just raise your hand. We're gonna give it another moment. I see that hand in the back under the balcony. Anybody else this morning? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, I see that hand here. Thank you, God. There's some online, I know you're watching today, and the separation that you've been feeling from God is the very reason that you're just watching online today. You don't feel like you can be even around other people because you don't want to feel fake. I just want you to know God is right there with you today. There is no separation. Anybody else before we move on? You need to respond to God this morning. Yeah, I see that hand in the balcony. Anybody else? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Okay, so we're gonna pray together. And for those that have put their hands up this morning, this is your commitment to God. And it's really between you and God. So I want you to just zone in. I know the kids are done right away here, but let's just focus for just a couple minutes more. And we're gonna all pray together, but what God's listening for is your voice this morning. And we're gonna commit ourselves to Him afresh so just repeat after me father god i come before you and i recognize today my deep need of you i need a savior 
I need to know life and life abundantly. And I thank you, Father, for sending Jesus to pay the price for me. And I thank you, Jesus, for laying down your life. And today I ask your forgiveness for every sin, every place I've fallen short. And I thank you that according to your word, you forgive me and you wash me clean and you make me new. I'm asking today for you to take me in. I want to be your child. I want to know you as my father. And God, I want to live my life for you. Help me, teach me, instruct me, and give me a love for your word and a love for those things that bless your heart. And I thank you for it today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this message from Victory Church Grand Prairie. You can stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by using at Victory Church GP. If you have any questions, would like to access our online resources, or would like to sow into this ministry, you can visit us at www.victorygp.com. You can also text to give. Just text 587-207-4387 and follow the prompting. Thanks again for joining us at Victory GP. Reach. Teach. Mobilize.